advice would be, there would be two pieces. Number one, don't set, sweat the small stuff because all the little things, it's like the little chihuahuas that are nipping at your heels. Just don't worry about that because when your attention is on the small stuff, you can't go with the big stuff. And it would be what we talked about earlier. That is, you need to work on your business and not in your business. Because I think that that is, again, I wish if I could go back and talk to my future self or my, my previous self, and when I did open that salon, and if I would have just focused on training the girls and educating them and worried about filling their chairs as opposed to learn, worried about filling my chairs, I think that my, um, I, I would be in a different place. Now I'm where I'm supposed to be, and I understand that. Hey everyone, this is Devin Miller here with another episode of The Inventive Journey. I'm your host, Devin Miller, a serial entrepreneur that's grown several startups into seven and eight figure businesses, as well as the founder and CEO of Miller IP Law, where he helps startups and small businesses with their patents and trademarks. If you ever need help with yours, just go to strategymeeting.com, grab some time with us to chat, and we're always here to help. Now, today we've got another great guest on the podcast, Kim Becker, and uh, Kim graduated from high school and wanted to go to law school, um, told her parents she would need to figure out how to get there. Her parents told her she would need to figure out how to get there. And so she um, started working at a hair and tanning salon and uh, was told that the beauty or beauty school was a great way to uh, pay for law school. So went to went to school or beauty school. Never quite made it to law school, um, but then uh, de- or was working for a period for someone or, or wanted to work for someone else for a while and started and then decided to start her own uh, salon and grew it. Um, she then sold her salon and uh, started a nonprofit called Hello Gorgeous that helps uh, cancer patients and uh, does uh, mobile day spas uh, for those patients. Um, and then kind of uh, initially bought one uh, mobile salon, got another one gifted for, trained up others on how to do the, doing the salon, um, and has uh, continued to uh, work on that nonprofit. And that leads a bit to where she's at today, and she'll provide us with more detail from there. So with that much as an introduction, welcome on the podcast, Kim. Well, thanks, Devin. I'm excited to be here. Absolutely. Excited to have you. So I gave the 30 second version to a much longer journey. So why don't we uh, go back a bit in time to uh, graduating from uh, high school and wanting to go to law school? So, um, you know, back when I I graduated from high school a long time ago, but, you know, back when I was there, there wasn't anything, you know, as far as a 529 plan goes. And that wasn't where my parents were thinking. I came from a very blue collar family. And um, so they basically said, we got you through high school. And if college was something that I wanted to do, that I was on my own to get myself there. So had to figure out a way to do that. I, I had my heart set. My mom said I'd make a really good attorney because I was really good at arguing with her. So she said that, you know, have at it. Um, so I got in a part-time job and worked at a tanning slash beauty salon. And the girls there were really supportive. And they said, you know, if you want to go to law school, you should just go to beauty school because you could literally cut hair all the way through and pay for your entire education. And I thought that's a great idea. So I decided to go to beauty school and the rest is history. I got in there and found my creative outlet and absolutely loved, loved, loved being a hairdresser and um, worked for a couple of salons and then decided that I wanted to open my own salon, which was great. Um, The story that I shared with you was that when we um, first talked about opening a salon, my late husband had said that, he had a perfect name for the salon that we should call it Hello Gorgeous. 
And I said, before we get into that, and definitely want to get into that because that's your (laughs) good part of your story. But so backing up just a little bit, so you were working at, you know, originally the intent was to go to law school, which, uh, you know, I went to law school. I I think it was a great opportunity. I also get it's expensive and it's not for everyone. But, you know, you started down that path and you said, okay, beauty school, doing, you know, cutting hair and and doing the, you know, working in the beauty industry is a great way to pay to law school, which I think that was some uh, great advice. Now, kind of what point did you decide to, hey, I'd rather stay in this industry or keep doing, you know, or working in the beauty industry and cutting hair and doing, working in salons and that, as opposed to law school, kind of how did you balance that or how did you kind of come to that conclusion? You know, I think that once I got into doing hair, um, there was just something that felt right. Like it filled a hole, if, if that makes sense. But I remember going into to like my first job and saying, I didn't want to be just a hairdresser. So I feel like there was some sort of a drive that was inside of me. So even though it wasn't driving, you know, towards law school, there was something else that I didn't, you know, and, and again, you may or may not understand being an attorney yourself, but there's a horrible connotation about being just a hairdresser. You know, it's like Kim couldn't make it in college. So she decided to go to beauty school. And so I wanted to get rid of that um, uh, mark, whatever it would be. And so even once I got out of beauty school and started working in a salon, I'm like, I don't want to be just a hairdresser. And so I actually became an educator. So I worked with national brands and was an educator for them where I traveled across the country and taught other people how to use, was a natural nail care line. It was a, an Italian color line that I had done because that's, I never wanted that. Um, I never wanted that title of just the hairdresser. And so I think that, you know, once I got in there and like I said, it just filled that void, whatever that was, it felt like that was just the right thing to do. It was the right place. But even that, like I said, it didn't satisfy me because I knew I needed to do something more. I think that uh, that certainly makes sense. And so now you're, so now that's kind of or where, where I or so rudely interrupted. No, but interrupted. No, no, no. But... <laughs> no, you're good. No, you're good. But uh, so you decide, okay, you know, it's, it's, it's I want to continue to grow and to, or to do more and to build and to do my own thing. And so you're working, how long did you work for, uh, for other uh, salons and for hairdressers? Uh, how, what period of time was that over? I think it was about, how old would I have been? We just, I would have been like 30. I think my goal was to open my own salon by the time I was 25 and I missed the mark. And so I think I was 30 because we would have just felt, and actually the salon is still in existence. And um, Sunday, Saturday the, was the 25th anniversary of me opening that salon. And it's still up and running today, which I'm very proud of. Um, and so I think, um, like I said, I, I was what, 18 when I graduated from beauty school. So it was a few years before I actually op- opened my own salon. So, but I had an opportunity. I think, you know, when you're getting into businesses, finding out what you want, finding out what you don't want is just as important. And so I think that the opportunity that I had to actually go and work for other people, see how they ran their business, see how, how they actually um, you know, brought on new people, what was their protocol, um, what was their onboarding process, all of those things that I had the opportunity to say, yep, I like that. Yep, I don't like that. And, and then being able to say, okay, now I'm going to build that um, from there, like when I, you know, it was the, the famous story, when I have my own business or when I have my own salon, you know, I'm going to run it this way. I'm going to do it this way. And so that was really helpful for me to actually be in the hair business, to be there as a stylist, because it was also, I always wanted to treat my employees the way, the way I wish I would have been treated. 
And so I think it was really good for me to go and be an employee before I was an employer, because it gave me a better understanding as I I went through that, as I went through that, um, you know, uh, the operating of being on the other side of things. Oh, I think that that, uh, and it always is a much different perspective. You know, it's interesting. Sometimes you get into it and you have all these things that, hey, this employer does this and this and this wrong. And when I do it myself, I'm going to do it differently. And then you get into it and you think, oh, I get now why they're doing it this and this and this way. And it does make sense. Or I'm going to do some of them. And sometimes you get in and say, yep, I was right. It was dumb. And I think that there's a lot better ways to do it. And you do it and you're, uh, you can make a success of it. But I think it's always kind of making that, that leap and actually trying it yourself, which kind of distinguishes as to whether or not it's something that, you know, that all your lofty ideas are actually what you want to pursue. So now as you get in and you start building your own, you know, your own salon and your own, uh, your own uh, beauty or beauty parlor, you know, how long did you build that kind of, how did it go? Did you enjoy it? Cause I know you moved, uh, moved on to, you know, your husband originally said you should name it Hello Gorgeous. And I don't think you did on the salon side. You did later on in a business, but kind of how did it uh, go as you decided, Hey, I'm going to go out on my own. You know, so it was, um, it was a journey. Um, you know, you have to be careful. So we bought an existing salon um, against the um, recommendation of our attorney. <laughs> so please listen to what your attorney tells you to do. Um, and so that was different because of the, and, but he said, you're going to buy it, you know, change the name, change the phone number. You don't want any association because of repercussions that the former business owner did all of those kind of things. And so, um, you know, we were able to do that. We opened a salon and, you know, I, it's, it was, um, and maybe it's just my, uh, something inside of me, but I was never satisfied with it. Um, I find now I understand what, what it was, but there was always something that was missing. And so when we first bought the salon, it was two hair stations and four tanning beds back in the eighties, you know, early nineties tanning was the big thing. And so, um, it was great because it, you know, people came in, they bought retail. If they, they saw some hair stuff that was going on, so you had two, your hair clients became your tanning clients, your canning clients became your hair clients. And so then it was, okay, that wasn't good enough. So then we evolved it. So literally every year at about New Year's, we closed the salon and we would revamp the salon every single year. And so we went from, you know, four tanning beds and two hair stations to four tanning beds and four hair stations. Then one by one, we were pulling the tanning stations out and we added, you know, aesthetics and nails and all the things because it was just something that was missing on the inside of me and I couldn't tell what it was. So then we took everything out. We ended up in this thousand square feet little salon. We had seven stations and it was great. And it was big. And I will tell you now, and I hope your listeners can, can learn from my experience. And, and I don't know about you. I would love to know your opinion on this, but I made the mistake of working in my business instead of on my business as an owner. No, I think that's a hard one. I mean, <laughs> You know, sometimes it's one is you just don't have enough manpower. Things have to get done. So you do it yourself and you kind of get in that mode. But even as you grow or as you do have the bandwidth or you have the budget to bring new people on, you always tell yourself, hey, I need to do this. You know, I can do it better. I can do it faster. I'm going to lose money or, you know, and there's all the excuses. And some of them are probably legitimate. You probably could do it better than sometimes or you could do it quicker. But even that you start to work in your business, you become kind of almost an employee of your business as opposed to running it. And I think one is sometimes leaves it that it's lacking. You're not as, you know, you don't find the enjoyment. And two, you know, it, it can hamper the growth of the business. So I definitely um, would echo a lot of that and seeing that, you know, in different businesses I've done as well as watching others that we worked with. 
But if we were to say, okay, so now you go out, you know, there's kind of those ups and downs. You have to pivot. You have, you're trying to continually iterate and, and decide how you want to do it and not being an employee of your business, but running your business and those type of things. Now, how long did, were you in uh, doing your own, your own business and your own salon? We had the salon for about 10 years and, and it was an evolution, you know, and I, and I think that's it too. And you have to evolve or you'll die. That's all there is to it as far as your business goes. And so what in what I saw in the time that I owned the business was when I first started in the, the hair industry, and then even at the onset of opening my salon, was commission-based salons were very, that was the kind of the big. You had a sliding scale, you know, 50 to 65%, depending on the production of the stylus. Well, towards the end of my career as a salon owner, what was happening was independent contracting was becoming a big deal. And so people wanted to come in and they didn't want to necessarily work for commission. They didn't want to work for you. They wanted to work inside your salon, but they wanted just to rent the space. So they wanted to be able to control what happened inside of there. And what's happened now, now there's been a flux, right? So now it's not more, it's, it's less and less of the commission salons and more of the independent contracting salons, hence the suite um, you know, the buildings that have the multiple suites in it now, and that's been huge. And so, you know, years ago, that wasn't it. And so we had to, we had to kind of shift with that. And so as I went, I would take the girls out of beauty school, and I would train them the way that I wanted to. And, and it's just, it's a nonstop. I equate it to being a college football coach. You know, you, every four years, you know, you get the team right about where you want it. And then you get all your big seniors graduate, and then you get an influx of green, and, you know, these young kids, and you got to train them all over again. Owning a salon is much like that. You get these kids out of school, and you get them trained, and you get them just the way you want it, and then they leave and go someplace else. And then you get the kids in out of school, and you do the same thing again. I don't know how a college football coach does it. That drive me crazy. They got to have a, you know, they got to have a passion for that. And so it got to the point where I'm like, okay, I'm losing these people. What do I need to do? So I needed to shift. And so that's when we were like, okay, look, we'll do, we'll do both. You can either work here as a commission-based stylist, or you can work here as an independent contractor. And then we had rules for both. Um, and then when I successfully sold the salon, I actually stayed on as an independent contractor. But what I realized, which was really cool, and again, you know, God is an amazing being. You know, he puts you through things and you have no idea why you're going through these things. But all of a sudden, 10 years down the road, it'll be apparent as to why you went through those. So I, once we started Hello Gorgeous, we knew that we didn't want to, we wanted to make a bigger impact more than just me laying on hands. I wanted to, I wanted to train people how to fish. I didn't want to just hand them a fish. So we went into these salons, we created a program and trained them how to do the Hello Gorgeous experience. But what was great was I was able to talk salon owners to salon owners. So I created a program to take into salons to be able to say, hey, as a salon owner, I developed this. So if someone would come in and talk to me, I would be like, sign me up. I want to take that on. But then because I'd also dealt with the independent contractors, we were able to work with the big chains that had the suites to be able to say, okay, look, just because your stylists are independent doesn't mean they can't work as a team. Here's a program that we put into play so that this will create that, um, that cohesiveness, even though they're working independently, that they can get that team-based experience together. So again, you, a lot of times you don't understand why you're going through what you're going through. But I think if we just take it, I've learned to ask a very important question, even the whole time that my husband was sick and, and before he passed away, I found that I would ask myself why a lot and why is just one of those questions that you never really get the answer to. So what I started to ask is, okay, what am I supposed to learn from this? And when I shifted that question to what am I supposed to learn from this, 
all of a sudden these pieces started to fall into place. And I understood, I may not have understood right now, but eventually it was apparent to me why I had to go through all of those things in order to get to where I was. No, I think that makes sense. And, you know, sometimes you're right at the, the time you're going through, it doesn't always become apparent, but a lot of times as you look back, it definitely makes sense. So now is your, so you've done the salon, you did that for a period of 10 years. And I do agree, you're always having to pivot and adjust. You're always having to figure out what works, what doesn't work. Where is the market evolving? Where are things changing? How can you improve? How can you keep ahead of the competition? And I think you just have to have that mindset that you're going to have to figure it out and turnover in all industries. And depending on the industry, you know, some of them have greater turnover than not, but you're always having to deal with that. So you have all that in the mix. You did that successfully for 10 years. Now, as you're getting to the end of that, what made you kind of decide to, to sell the business after you've got or had it going for a while and, you know, and, uh, and then move over to the, the nonprofit that you're doing now? You know, again, it, I, I can't take any of it. It was all God. There's no way that I would have ever thought about this. You know, we teased for a long time because this was truly a calling for me. And I always say, you know, God doesn't call the equipped. He equips the called. And I was a hairdresser and my late husband graduated from Purdue University with a pre-Columbian archaeology degree. We said that God should have chosen two marketing majors from Harvard to pull off what we pulled off because it didn't make any sense. And so, you know, during the time at the salon, there was just always something that was missing. And when this fell on my heart about taking care of these women with cancer and being able to utilize the talent that I had um, and make these women over and show them the things that they could do, you know, the whole goal with for Hello Gorgeous is to make sure that a woman battling cancer can look at her reflection and she can smile. And, you know, we realize that you don't know what you don't know. And so, you know, the doctor's job is to treat her cancer. That's it. If they ask them, you know, they'll ask, how can I counteract the effects of this? How can I counteract the effects of that? The doctors will say, that's not my job. My job is to make sure that I get rid of the cancer. It's my job to make sure they look really good while they're going through it. Because it's proven that if these women look better, they feel better. And therefore, that they'll heal faster. That they And they can participate in their own entire lives. You know, it's not... It's not just the older retired person that gets cancer. It's the young mom. It's the C-suite executive. You know, these people don't want their life to stop just because of cancer. But they're also, I, I mean, I was a hairdresser for 30 years. I get how important appearance is, and especially to a woman. You know, I always feel like, oh, you know, I could I pull my hair back and I could rock bald. I'd be okay. And then you start to realize that they lose their eyebrows and they lose their eyelashes. All the things that make us feel pretty as a woman, all those things are gone. So if I can show how to do that, if I can show how to replace those things, then that's when all of that comes in and they can smile and then they, they help to participate in their normal everyday life. So I, it was just, I, I tell you what, it, um, starting a nonprofit is not easy. I, I, I will tell you that I'm a big one for modeling. You know, you don't have to figure out, you don't know how to do it. You just need to find somebody who's already done it and talk to them. So we had the opportunity to talk to Millard Fuller. Uh, Millard Fuller was the gentleman that started Habitat for Humanity. And he, um, uh, we had a conversation with him and he has affiliates all over the United States. And so I had a 45 minute conversation with him, you know, basically about you get the nonprofit going. How do you, how do you do it? How do you get going? How do you, and my dream you know, was to have this huge $250,000 vehicle. So I wanted to be debt free. And I, you know, my question to him is how, how do you, how do you do this? My, and the most, <laughs> it was the best answer I ever received. And I said to him, you know, how much money do I need to have in the bank? 
You know, I had loans, we had everything paid off, you know, we, we, we had everything debt free. So I'm like, how much money do I need to have in the bank in order to get started, you know, in order to really think about going with this. And in his Southern accent, I will never forget this as long as I live. He said, Kim, you'd be really silly to start without a dollar. He said, you just need to start. You know, you don't have to wait for everything to be perfect. These women don't care. They'd be taken care of in an alley over a garbage can. You just need to start. And I'll tell you, that was the one of the best piece of advice that I ever got. You don't have to wait. Yes, it'll, your business is always going to be an evolution. You're never going to arrive because things are always going to change. But if you don't start, you don't know. So if nothing else, just start where you are. It may not be as big as you want it to be at this moment, but at least if you start, you'll build that momentum and it'll get it going. No, and I think that there's a, a lot of a uh, lot of uh, wisdom to that, and most of the time it is that it isn't the money that holds you back. Now the money's important, and you don't need it for a business. It isn't the you know a lot of the other things. It's not even the expertise. It's most of the time it's just getting that momentum, getting started, and figuring it out that's going to make the difference between the person that always kind of has the idea that they want to pursue but never quite do versus the ones that actually get going. So you know, but one now one of the things you know we've had a few um, different. Um, non or nonprofits on you know various aspects on the the show before and you know one of the things that's interesting is you know nonprofits are, are, are an interesting thing in the sense of a lot of times people run them and is hey I'll just I'll just have it started a good cause and people will just be wanting to give me money more than I ever know what to do with and it will be one where we'll just be able to help lots of people which is you know I think it's it comes from a place of I want to help people which is great the difficulty is, is you still have to, to a degree, run it like a business. It still has to have the money to support itself, to be able to pay for the people that are providing the services or to organize things or to have the equipment and everything else. And so as you're saying, okay, I'd like to get into this and get it going, how did you get people willing to support it? And how did you get the business to where it could you know, be sustainable? And kind of how did you get it going? So it was um, a lot of hard work <laughs> and it was um, a lot of dedication. So it ended up that uh, my late husband was the one that kind of worked full time on the business and I sold the salon and then continued to work at the salon as an independent contractor. And that's how I supported our family. So I was able to make enough money in 10 days a month to support our family. And then the time I wasn't behind the chair, we were working. So I think it was probably for nine years, I worked two jobs. And so that way, then we were able to bring money in and bring it into the nonprofit and not have to actually quote unquote live off of those funds. And, and that's the, the hardest thing that, that I realized, um, and I still do, and you're so right in that your nonprofit still has to be run like a business, but it's different. I read an article once, I, I wish I could remember the name of the article, but it talked about how they wish that all Fortune 500 companies had to run their business like the nonprofit is asked to run their business. You know, And they said, instead of calling it a nonprofit business, it should be called a for-purpose business. You know, and so what happens is, you know, when I own the salon and, you know, we were having a low income month, week, whatever it was, I could add a couple of haircuts. I could add on some color. I could run a retail sale. Kim's in a bad mood. All the retail is 20% off. There was ways for me to be able to bring income in. As a nonprofit, that's very difficult. I can't reach into people's pockets and make them give me money. So what we did a lot is just, you know, we got out there. I did a lot of speaking. I, you know, talked to as many organizations as we possibly could. We ran events. And in the beginning, that's how we were able to do it was just to be able to get that, to get those funds in. Um, as time went on, 
um, the events got bigger and, you know, some of the donations got larger. Now we're doing what I want to be able to do is to do just that is to run it like a business where we're creating, you know, we created a, a virtual makeover now. So we had to pivot. So as I said, right, if you don't pivot, you're dead. And so COVID hit, we had 33 affiliates in 15 states. They were fundraising for us. You know, we were bringing money in that way. We had all these things and all of a sudden the world shut down. So the salon shut down and they weren't doing makeovers and they weren't doing fundraisers. But you know what I realized in the middle of a pandemic, women were still being diagnosed with cancer. So I had to figure out a way to continue to help them. And so what we did was we actually created a virtual makeover now. And so it's something that people can just, they can go online, they can purchase it. We send them a box of items. And then there's a video that goes with it, that complements it, that shows them how to use all those items. So it shows them how to create the makeover on themselves. So we educate and empower these women. And they're, it's done in the safety of their own home. Now, again, what a blessing that was, because when everything was flourishing and you know the, the affiliates are going, if you'd have come to me and said, Kim, we really need to do a virtual option with this because you'll be able to help more women, I would have said, absolutely not. Because I got to hug you. I got to be in the same space with you. I got to wrap my arms around you. It's all about that. So to do something virtual was like, no. But if that's the only way that I can help these women, then that's what we do. So because we've added that to our menu of items and, and resources that we have now, we just, we sent a makeover to Alaska. We sent one to Canada. There's no way that I could have reached those women. And so I think that, you know, one of the biggest thing as a business owner is that you have to learn number one to pivot, but you got to be open. You can't be so closed down and so closed-minded that you, as things evolve, that you aren't willing to evolve with that. And so, especially as a nonprofit, because of the fact that things are, the world's going to change around you and either you've got to change with it or you won't exist. So. Oh, I think that there's, there's a lot of, a lot of truth to that. And I think that I, I give a kudos because, you know, I, I think that most of the time running a nonprofit is, it is, it is as hard it's different but it's as hard as running a business and you still have to run it like a business it's just a different form of a business so i like more of for a purpose as opposed to nonprofit. is because you're really running it for a purpose but you're still having to run it as a business it still has to be sustainable and i think that it sounds like you guys have found a great way to provide that service and also to to help out those people in need so i think that's that's definitely great well, as we start to wrap towards the end of the, the episode, and uh, th there's always uh, two questions I always uh, love to ask at, at the end of each journey, um, or the present day of each journey, um, which is the uh, first question I always like to ask is, along your journey, what was the worst business decision you ever made, and what'd you learn from it? The worst business decision I ever made? Um I, I don't know that I, I can't say that I had any worse business decisions. And I'll tell you why, because even the bad ones taught me lessons that, that went to the, the good one. You know, if I had to say it, I, you know, part of it was I would have never opened the salon. And, and, and the reason is I think that people do things for the wrong reason and the right reason. And when I opened the salon, I opened it for all the wrong reasons. I opened it because I felt like I wanted to prove something. I, to both of my very dear friends who are still my good friends today graduated from the University of Notre Dame and you know they got they had their degrees and their diplomas and I was like I went to beauty school. And so I felt like if I opened a salon, if I opened a business, I could prove something to them that that I could hang with them. And and I did it for all the wrong reasons. But even though I did it for all the wrong reasons, I wouldn't have changed that because of the fact that 
out of that came so many of, of the other things that, that, um, that I came, you know, that came to now. So I don't know that there were any, I mean, even the little, like we started a massage business at one point in time and um, all of those things I think that I've done have gotten me to where I am right now. And I wouldn't change that. I, even all of the, even all the things, the bad things, I wouldn't have changed it. All right. Well, I, I'll still put it as a slight cop-out answer just because there are still decisions that aren't good decisions. You can learn from them. doesn't mean that they're good decisions. I can learn from getting hit by a car because I walk out the middle of the street. And they can say, it was a great learning decision. It's still not a good decision. So. You know, I, I guess, so here's, the, here's what I would say. I would not have, I would not have purchased somebody else's business. You know, I, I think that that was one of the decisions that I wish I would have done differently, that I would have just gone and found my own space and done my own design and taken out more money than what I had to take out when I bought somebody's existing business. Because what happened was the day we opened, so the person that we bought the salon from, once she got her money, she, there, were, there was a college that was right behind where we were at. And these kids were getting ready to graduate. And she sold all of these kids, these tanning packages got the money from us and then closed the salon. And so the first day that we opened, we had a long line out the door, all these kids wanting their money back because they couldn't salon. And then dummy me, I kept her on for a year as a receptionist. And so that would have been the bad business decision. I wish that I would have had more. What I learned from that was I know more than I think I did. And I lacked so much confidence that I didn't think that I could run the business without her because she had run it successfully. I didn't think that I could open a salon on my own, that I needed to buy somebody else's salon instead of starting from scratch. So I think that those were two decisions that I would have done differently. I would not have kept her on. I wish that I would have been stronger in my convictions to be able to say, you know what, I can do this. I, I, don't, I don't need to have you here. And I wish I would have gone after her because I was just like, I should have gone after her and said, you owe me. So she double dipped. She got all the money from all those canning packages she sold. And then I lost all of that money because I had to give all that money back. And so I should have gone after her and said, you need to pay me back on that. And by the way, you're no longer employed. But I wasn't, I wasn't strong enough. I was too green in my business. And it was fear. It, it was truly, it was fear-based. I was fearful that if I told her that she had to give me that money back, she would have quit. And number two, I thought that if I fired her, that I wouldn't have been able to keep it going. And so I would say that those were probably two of the business decisions I wish I would have done differently. All right. Well, I like those. And hey, now, now we do have the, the worst business decision. And I, and, I, <laughs> I don't, you know, and I think everybody is always afraid to say, oh, well, it's the worst decision. Because I, to your point, I think you can learn something from it. But I also think you need to recognize that, hey, this was not a good decision, yeah. but now I can learn from it and I can improve from it and I won't make it again and I can use it as an opportunity. So I don't think they're mutually exclusive, but I think that's a, a great a great one to learn from. Second question I always ask is, now if you're talking to somebody that's just getting into a startup or a small business, what would be the one piece of advice you'd give them? My advice would be, there would be two pieces. Number one, don't sweat the small stuff. Because all the little things, it's like the little chihuahuas that are nipping at your heels. Just don't worry about that. Because when your attention is on the small stuff, you can't go with the big stuff. And it would be what we talked about earlier. That is, you need to work on your business and not in your business. Because I think that that is, again, I wish if I could go back and talk to my future self or my, my previous self. And when I did open that salon, and if I would have just focused on 
training the girls and educating them and worried about filling their chairs as opposed to learn, worried about filling my chairs, I think that my, um, I, I would be in a different place. Now I'm where I'm supposed to be and I understand that. But I think that too many people, you know, you've got to figure out there's a, um, I, there was a great book that I listened to called The Gap in the Game. And it was all about where do you stay? Are you in the gap of what you didn't do or do you stay in the gain of what you've got done? And one of the things that they talk about in that book, it's not the what, it's the who. And so it's not what do you need to do, it's who can you help you do what you need to do. And so I wish that I would have spent more time working on my business because I think, it's, you know, we had a six figure salon and I think that it could have been double that because I didn't, I didn't value me and I didn't value the education that I was giving the stylist. And I think that if I would have had that confidence in myself and my abilities and worked on my business instead of in it, I think that instead of just pleasing the customers, I could have pleased, I could have grown the businesses. And that was always my goal. I wanted the girls that came to work for me or the stylist, I wanted them to be a better hairdresser than I ever was. I wish I would have pumped more of those out. I wish I would have continued to speak into them because I think that that would have made me even more successful in that arena. Oh, I think that that's uh, definitely makes sense and a, a great, uh, great uh, piece of advice. Well, as we wrap up the episode, if people want to reach out to you, and I'm going to change it up slightly because of your nonprofit, but if they want to be a customer, they want to be a client, they want to donate to your nonprofit, which is not typically in the the, my, the part that I say, um, they want to be an employee, they want to be a volunteer, they want to be an investor, they want to be your next best friend, any or all of the above, what's the best way to reach out to you, contact you, find out more? So if you want to find out more information, um, you can go to our website, which is hellogorgeous.org. Um, there's all kinds of information. There's information. We've got a, um, an online membership. We have the virtual makeovers. There's a bunch of free resources that are on there. Um, we're, we're on all the social media channels, um, uh, Facebook, Instagram, and um, TikTok. Uh, we have a podcast as well called Hello Gorgeous, Everything Beauty, Cancer, and Inspiration. Um, if they want to reach out to me directly, I can be reached at kbecker at hellogorgeous.org. Awesome. Well, I definitely encourage people to reach out, connect with you and uh, find out more. So with that, thank you again for coming on the podcast. It's been a fun. It's been a pleasure. Now for all of you that are listeners, if you have your own journey to tell and you'd like to be guests on the podcast, we'd love to have you. So just go to inventiveguest.com, apply to be on the show. A couple more things as listeners, make sure to click share, subscribe, leave us a review because we want to make sure that everyone finds out about all these awesome journeys. And last but not least, if you ever need help with your patents, your trademarks, or anything else with your startup, your small business, just go to strategymeeting.com, grab some time with us to chat, and we're always here to help. Well, thank you again, Kim, for coming on the podcast and wish the next leg of your journey even better than the last. Thanks, Devin. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for having me. My pleasure.